Parenting is one of the hardest things that you will ever do in your life. And the last service, all the, all the people that have gone through parenting are like, yes, that's right. And you guys are just sitting silently. So parenting is difficult, right? Uh, and, and it gets difficult, especially when we realize that our kids are different from each other. Right, my, uh, my mom always said that all she had to do to make me do what was right was yell at me once or twice, say, or get on me. She wasn't yelling, but she'd get on me. Don't do that, and I would fall into line. My brother, on the other hand, is a completely different story. Uh, for us, uh, we discipline my oldest daughter in a certain way, and if I even hint to my second daughter that that's how we're going to discipline her, she breaks out into tears, and she'll run away, and she'll hide, and you will have to take hours calming her down, saying, relax, relax, relax. So each child is different, and because they're each different, and they each have their own personalities and their own needs and their own wants that are vastly different than our own, parenting can be extremely difficult. And so the question is, is how do we know if we are being good parents? And I think that's a tough question sometimes to answer. I, I think it's tough to decide how do we determine if we are doing well at this thing called parenting. And, and so to, to begin this discussion, I think we have to ask the question, what is the scorecard? You know, how do we know, looking back 20 years from now, that we did a good job as a parent. Because if we're honest with ourselves, if we don't have any goals, if we don't have a scorecard, if we don't have anything that we're shooting at, we're going to hit nothing every time. So what is the scorecard? I think for each parent, it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to have different ideas on how to raise our children or the goals that we're raising our children to. Uh, for Emily and I, it, it's very simple. We want to raise independent children who love and serve God with all that they are. All right? Our goal isn't to make them mini-us or mini-me's. Our goal isn't uh, that they become the next greatest preacher. Our goal isn't that they become doctors. Our goal isn't that they even become the president of the United States, although who really wants that job right now, right? Our goal are three simple things. We want them to be independent. You know, we, there's a phenomenon that is happening in our culture today, and it's called the boomerang child. And this is where you have raised them for 18 years, and you send them off, and they are away for maybe two or three years, and then they come right back into your home. And there's nothing wrong with that. If my children decide after college they're going to live in my house, that's perfectly fine. They will have a rent to pay, uh, and they will have chores to do. But we want our children to be independent. We want them to make decisions themselves. We want to teach them so that when we do shove them off, that hopefully they won't return. That hopefully they will know how to take care of themselves. That hopefully they'll know in this situation, this is what I do. Uh, the second thing that Emily and I want us, our children to have is we want them to have a love for God that is, involves everything about who they are. Uh, we want them to love God in all aspects of their lives, and we want that love to be evident in the way that they are living their lives. And then we hope, uh, honestly, if, if all of my children love God, that is a success in and of itself for me. Uh, the second thing is we want them, the third thing is we want them to serve God with who they are. 
See, they don't have to be in full-time ministry. They don't have to get paid to do ministry. I, they don't have to do what I do. But I, I know that God has created them for a purpose. And God has gifted them with certain abilities. And I think that if they are loving God, that it will naturally be that they start to serve God as well. So those are our, that's our scorecard. We want independent children who love God with everything that they are and are serving them, Him to the best of their abilities. And so you got to decide what your scorecard is. And it's going to look different for each one of us. But I think as Christians, there is one thing that we all have to have in our scorecard. And Moses talks about it in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And he says these words. I forgot I, I probably messed up. Oh, no, I didn't. Perfect. Okay. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And notice what he says here. He basically says you're to obey God so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. All right, so Moses is speaking this to the Israelites as they're about to enter the promised land. And he more or less says, you need to obey the commands of God and you need to do it so that your children learn to fear God themselves. Uh, and just a couple of verses later, he'll say that uh, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our soul. All right, and, and basically what he means by that is we're to love God with everything that we are. And if we love God with everything that we are, that's what it means to fear him. Fearing God is loving God with all that we are so much so that we do what he says. And I think that as Christians, no matter what other aspects we use to define whether we are being successful parents the number one thing that we have to have is this idea that our children love God. That our children fear Him. That our children obey Him. And if we don't have that within our scorecard, then we're missing the points of being a Christian parent. And so I want us to understand that, that great parenting is raising children who love God with everything that they are. Great parenting is raising children who love God with everything that they are. So today I want us to, to just briefly look at a parent that I think is great in the Bible. Uh, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to that passage, 1 Samuel chapter 1. There are a lot of examples of parents in the Bible, and almost every example of parents in the Bible are bad parents in the Bible. Okay, we, we can even look at some of the great people of the Bible. We can look at Noah. Noah is the saint, all right? He, he is living in a time where no one is following God, right? Uh, God's decided he's going to destroy the world and start over, and he's going to start over with Noah. Noah, you are the one person that's going to escape the flood. And yet we see that Noah gets off the boat. He 
drinks some wine, gets drunk, lies naked in his tent, and curses his grandson when he wakes up. So not really the ideal parents that we should emulate in our lives. Uh, then then we, get, we can look at maybe Abraham. Uh, Abraham's this guy that all of Israel looked to and said, yes, this is our father. He is the one that we love. This is the one we want to imitate in our lives. And then we look at how he interacted with his kids. Uh, he, 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 he's also the same guy that told a couple of guys that his wife wasn't actually his wife, but his sister, and they took, them as, and she, they took her as his wife. So not, again, a great parent to look up to. He's also the guy that takes his son up to a mountain with the purpose of sacrificing, something I don't suggest you do with your kids. Uh, we could look at David. David is a man after God's own heart. David is a guy that if we want to emulate our faith, uh, we, he is it. But then we also look at his life with his family where he committed adultery and then had sons that killed each other and then started rebellions against him. And so even there, his parenting skills weren't the best. And so I, I think, if anything, this gives us encouragement, right? I, even the great men and women of the faith, they were messed up parents. And so if we mess up, we're in good company right now, okay? All right, so just keep that in mind as we read this story. Hannah is who we're going to read about in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and she is a great example of a parent, but there is things within her life that we should not emulate. All right, so here's verse 1. Uh, I want to just summarize verse 1 because I realize it's a lot of names. All right, so verse 1 says, There was a certain man from Ramathim, and his name was Elkanah, and he was an Ephraimite. All right, that's me summarizing verse 1. Verse 2. He had two wives. One was named Hannah. The other was named Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And in verse 6, we read that because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, Penina, her rival, provoked her until Hannah wept and would not so we're introduced to these, this family, uh, Elkanah and his two wives. Uh, any example of polygamy in the Bible always has issues. And so while the Old Testament does not prohibit polygamy, it's also not a good idea to have it. Okay, so let's just keep that in mind. We also need to understand some cultural things happening here. The first is this, that marriage in the Old Testament, in the ancient world in general, was not for happiness. Marriage was not for love. Marriage was for procreation. And in particular, having male children who could carry on the family name. And so usually if there was a situation where there was two wives, it would often happen because the first wife was barren. The first wife could not have children. And so we can assume a couple of things. We can assume that Hannah is the first wife in this story. And Elkanah, he, he has enough money to support a second wife. And so he goes off and he marries Penina after a couple of years of Hannah not having any children. And Penina has, gets pregnant really quickly. And it causes some rivalry. All right? Because in that culture, for women, all right, if you did not have children, it was not okay. And we look at this from the 21st century, and we are thinking, man, they do not treat women well. And and you're probably right. Their culture was a lot harsher in a lot of ways. 
And so, so this is what's, but this is what's going on in this story. And so we have to understand that. And so what Penina is doing is, is more or less poking fun at Hannah and belittling her and making her feel worthless. Uh, interestingly, in the story, we're not going to read it, but Elkanah will come up to his wife and being the sensitive guy that he is, says, honey, it's okay that you don't have children. I love you. And that's all that matters. But he's missing the entire point completely. Because when the culture that says you are worthless unless you have male children, Hannah feels like nothing. Let's, let's make this into a baseball analogy. We have Cardinals fans here today. Imagine the Cardinals had a pitcher, and the only pitch that he could throw was a fastball, and that's it. A fastball every time down the middle. How long is he going to last as a pitcher? Not too long, right? They're going to recognize that really quickly, and he's going to be in the minor leagues or, or out of baseball completely, right? Or, or imagine you have a field player who cannot hit the ball for anything. I, again, not going to be worth anything. And, and this is what Hannah is feeling like in this moment. I am worth nothing. And yes, Elkanah, you may love me, but I feel like I'm worthless. And so this is where she's at. This is the background to this story. Elkanah is a faithful man of God. Every year he would go up to the tabernacle, the place that the Israelites worshiped God, and every year he would sacrifice for his family, and every year they would hold a feast. And on one of these feasts, Hannah does something pretty remarkable. We read about it in verse 9. Uh, verse 9 says, Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up, uh, now Eli the priest was sitting in his chair at the doorpost of the Lord's house, and in her deep anguish Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And so Hannah Hannah's in such anguish that she shows her faith. All right? And her faith is that while no one else understands, while, while my rival Penina is belittling me, while Elkanah, my husband, doesn't understand what it takes to comfort me, there's only one person that I can run to. And that one person is God. And so she runs to the tabernacle, the temple, the area that they worshiped God, God's presence on earth. And I just picture her falling to her knees before this tent and weeping and praying and asking God, please give me a child. And she makes a vow that if you do, he will serve you only. And then Eli, the high priest sitting there, watches her do this. In their culture, they... Usually you didn't just mouth words. Usually you spoke things. Even if you were reading, you would read out loud to understand what's being said. And so he sees her speaking, but not actually saying anything. And so he thinks that she's drunk. And we're told that he looks at her and begins to berate her, saying, why are you coming to the tabernacle drunk? And Hannah defends herself, says, no, no, I have not been feasting. Remember, she is to tears to the point that she cannot even eat. 
says, I've just been praying to God that he will give me a son. And Eli responds in this way in verse 17. He says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. And Hannah, she says, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went on her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Basically, she feels by the words of Eli that God has heard her prayer. And she is no longer in this uh, down mood. She's no longer depressed. She's no longer saddened at her lot in life. She is excited that God has heard her. In the next verse, we read that early the next morning they arose, they worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back home to Ramah. And Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant. She gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. So it ends up happily, right? Hannah ends up with a son. You know, everything that has been causing her to be down, her rival belittling her, is all because she couldn't have children. And yet, here it is, God has blessed her. He has given her a son. But remember that vow, right? And what was that vow? That, God, that she would give this son to the Lord for him to serve the Lord always. So, have you ever made that type of vow? When you've been sick and you weren't sure if you were going to get out of it, and you prayed, God, God, if you'll only hear me, I will. God, if you'll take care of my mom, I will. God, if you will get me through this, I will. Have you ever made that vow? Because it's a dangerous vow, right? Because sometimes we make it without thinking and we don't actually follow through. So what is Hannah going to do? Because she's made this vow. God, if you'll give me a son, I will. Well, this is what happens in verse 21. We read that her husband Elkanah went up with all of his family to the annual sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill his own vow. And Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Uh, interestingly, in that culture, wives actually couldn't take vows. The husband had to affirm any vow the wife wanted to take. And so this is, I think, the first time Hannah mentions this vow uh, to her husband. All right, and can you imagine that conversation, right? All right, honey, it's time to go. Well, I'm not actually going to go because as soon as this child is, is weaned, I'm just going to give him and he's going to live there always. Oh, okay. I, I mean, what was that conversation like? I, I just think it'd be interesting to be a fly on that tent, right? All right, so Elkanah, he does this. He says, do what seems best to you. His love for Hannah is deep. And he says, if that's what you want to do, if that's the vow that you've made, let it be. He says, stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good on his word. And so the woman stayed at home and she nursed her son until she had weaned him, which would have been probably the year uh, age three or four. Uh, probably three, based on what's about to happen. All right, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and, he, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood beside you praying for, to the Lord. I pray that this child, for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I have asked him. So now give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. 
Uh, so basically, she brings this large sacrifice. It, it's over atop what normal sacrifice is because she's celebrating this blessing that God has given her, her child. And she brings the child to Eli and says, here, let him serve here. Uh, there's one last picture of Hannah as a parent. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, uh, verses 18 and uh, 19. Says Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him. And when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice, she gave it to him. Uh, so basically, Hannah, uh, she, she hasn't abandoned the child. She has given the child to Eli to raise. Uh, but each year she gives him a robe. And in their society, uh, wealth was determined really by two major things, food and clothes. And so having a new outfit each year was a lavish gift that Hannah gave her son. Now, there are things in this story that I would not suggest you do as a parent. One thing I do not suggest you do is bring your firstborn child and give them to me to raise. Okay, I already have five children. Uh, If you really want to do it, we can talk about it, but I suggest you don't do this, okay? Uh, The second thing is Hannah only sees her son once a year. Again, not something I suggest as a parent. You should see them more often than that. But when we look at Samuel's life, we do see that he turns out pretty good. Samuel is the last judge of Israel. He's the last guy to lead the Israelites before the kings came onto the scene. Uh, Samuel is the guy that anoints the first two kings of Israel. And Samuel is the first of the great prophets of Israel. And so Samuel turns out pretty good. He turns out to be a man who loves God with everything that he is. And some of that is because of what Hannah has done. Hannah has dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And I think as parents, we need to dedicate our children to the Lord. And it's going to look a lot differently than what Hannah did, but I think that there are three parenting skills that we can learn from this story today. Uh, The first skill that we can have to be great parents is this. Parenting begins with us. Parenting begins with us. Notice what happens in this story. Hannah displays her faith first. It's in a moment of deep anguish that she comes to the tabernacle and she's on her knees and there's tears coming down her face and she's praying to God, God, you are the only one that can help me in this moment. Our kids, they need to see our faith. See, our kids are extremely observant creatures. Uh, The other day, uh, Doug McPike was out in his patrol car in the parking lot, and uh, I had my four-year-old daughter with me, and I was talking to Doug, and out of the blue, she randomly asked, do you work for the Bears? And and, and this makes no sense. I'm looking at her like, what are you talking about? And Doug goes, oh, I know what she's talking about. On the side of his patrol car, there is the uh, emblem for the highway patrol, and on it, there are two bears looking at each other. And so my daughter, in her observation of something I had totally overlooked, says, do you work for those bears? Our kids see everything. And if you are a Christian, only one hour out of the week, 
And you go home after Sunday morning and you don't do anything else to display your faith, they're going to recognize that one of those two is not real. And which one do you think that they're going to believe is fake? See, our parenting, if we want our kids to love God with all that they are, it begins with ourselves. Do we love God with everything that we are? Whatever we want our kids to have in their lives, we need to display in our own lives. So if we want the kids to have a love for the church, then it means we have to love the church. And we have to love coming to church. And we have to come to church. I mean, and, and it's all about attitude in some ways, right? If we get up on Sunday morning, we're like, oh man, it's Sunday. I don't really want to go, but I know I need to. What's their attitude going to be when they get older? Oh man, I don't really want to go on Sunday. And they probably won't. If we want our kids to serve, then we have to show them what it means to serve. And we have to be serving ourselves. If we want our kids to be generous, then we need to be generous. Then we need to let them see us giving our money to people who are in need. If we want our kids to have faith, it starts with us. And if we're not all out for God, our kids are never going to be all out for Him either. So if you want to be great parents... If you want children who love God with everything that they are, then you need to love God with everything that you are. I think Jesus says it best in, in Matthew chapter 10, I think. He says, The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. And we could say it like this, A child is not better than his parents. And our children, if they never see our faith, they're not going to have faith of their own. Our children are not going to have more faith than what we have unless they have their own God experiences and we're inviting them into that relationship with God that, they can, that only we can give them. And so it begins with us. Great parenting of raising children who love God with everything they are, it begins with us. The second thing we can learn from this passage is this. Parenting is finding good influencers for our children. Parenting is finding good influencers for our children. Notice what Hannah does with her son. She doesn't just say, you know what, I'm going to give him to God, and she finds the random person on the side of the street to give him to, right? And she doesn't even go to the, the closest priest, right? She goes to Eli, the high priest, and Eli overall was a good guy. You know, he had his own faults as a parent, and you can read about it in, in chapter 2 there. All right, but he overall was a good guy. He loved God. He loved the people of Israel. And, and Hannah recognizes this, and she places Eli in a very vital position in Samuel's life. Uh, Eli is one of the main reasons why Samuel turns out as good as he did. Right, and we're going to read about that in a couple of weeks, okay, about how Eli mentors Samuel. And we need to find good influencers for our own children. And this is vital for us because there's going to come a time where our kids don't want to listen to mom and dad. And maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you were that child, right? That at some point in time, you needed good advice. You didn't want it from mom and dad. And so who did you go to? Your friends, right? Your teenagers. And, and they thought they knew what was going on. But all it was really was the blind leading the blind, right? I know where I was as a teenager. I did not have the wisdom or the foresight to give good information. 
but our kids aren't going to turn to us as parents. And we may not want to, we may not like the fact that they're turning away from us, but that happens. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we involve other people into our families? And I think if we want people to give good advice to our kids, then it means we find good godly adults who can invest in the lives of our children so that when they don't want to listen to mom or dad or they don't want to listen to grandma and grandpa, they can turn to an adult that, that they do know and that they do trust. Because if all we do is when they're teenagers say, hey, you should talk to this guy and you've never in- introduced them before, how are they going to trust them? And this is something we can do as a church. When people come up to us and ask us, will you invest in our, my child's life? Don't say, no, nah, no. Nah. Yeah, because the more you invest in their lives, the more they're going to come to you and you can give them the advice that they need to get through whatever situation they're facing. And so if we want to be great parents, if we want children who love God, then it involves us being first and having faith ourselves and it involves us finding good influencers for our children. The third thing is this, parenting cares for the children in the best way that they can. Hannah, Hannah doesn't abandon her child. Hannah doesn't even do a whole lot for her child, but she does what she could. And she provides this new clothes for her child each year. And it's hard as parents. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways parents parent in this world. And there are a lot of times where other parents are doing so much more for their kids than what we feel like we're doing. And so what this principle says is this, is that we need to stop comparing ourselves to other parents. We need to stop looking around saying, man, I wish I could do that. Or man, I wish I, wish I had enough money to provide my kids all with iPads. Or I wish I could do this for my kids. And what we need to do is say, what can I do? Because while other parents are able to do some of the things that we may wish, there are certain things that only we can do. For me, it's when I go out on an errand. I typically grab one of my children. And we spend one-on-one time. We get to know each other. And I care for them. And I learn about who they are. And I fight for their hearts. It may mean that you as a parent, you sit down and you watch one of those stupid cartoon shows that are out there right now. And you laugh at it, not because the joke was funny, but because your kids are laughing. The joke was stupid, right? It made no sense, but your kids are laughing. And so we have to care for them, and we have to show them that we love them, and we do that by doing it the best that we can do, and not worrying about what anyone else is doing. We can all be great parents. We can all have that scorecard that says that our kids are loving God and serving Him with everything that they are. And it begins with us because if we don't have the faith in our lives, then they're not, it's not going to be passed on to them. And it begins with us having influencers in their lives so that other people are voices that speak truth in these times that they need truth, not from us. And it's caring for them the best way that we can without comparing ourselves to anyone else. And I think if we do those three things, we can have children who love God with all that they are. And we can be great parents. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful 
for people like Hannah who show us how to be good parents. And, and Hannah had her faults, and, and we have our own faults. We're never going to be perfect in this area. But Father, help us. Help us to do the best that we can to influence our children for the Lord. Help us to, to have those conversations, to be fighting for their hearts, to be being the best examples of what it means to follow you. Father, help us to influence our children so that they may have a greater impact than what we have. By the grace of Jesus, help us through this hard time of life. Thank you for Jesus who died and is the reason we sing. It's his name we pray. Amen.